0: and that from God, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict, conflict that you say, saw, I had and now here that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any per- participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being all full accord, and of my of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his one own interests, but also to the interest of others. Well, good morning and welcome again to worship here at St. John's Online. My name is Pastor Tom, and it is my privilege to be able to um, bring God's word to you this morning. If you would, um, let's just begin with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the Babiocs in sharing it from their home. And God, I thank you that you have shared it with us through the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago in circumstances that in some ways are radically different and in other ways are very uniquely similar to what we're facing right now. And so I pray, God, that you'll speak through my words, that they wouldn't be mine, but that they would just further illuminate the truth that you have for us to hear, that we might become more like you when we're done, than when we began. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This this past week my wife Alyssa and our two oldest boys Jake and Evan decided to start a puzzle. And so uh, I want to ask those of you who uh, have also started puzzles in the midst of this pandemic if you're live on Facebook or YouTube just put a little comment, let us know how many pieces the puzzle is that you started. The one that that we're starting in our house it's 500 pieces, had an Earth Day theme. It was Earth Day this week and they made some really good progress on this puzzle. Until Wednesday night when our two and a half year old Sophie decided that she wanted to help with the puzzle long story short they needed to start the puzzle all over again now. Now I feel like in, in some ways the world is in a similar place, right? Like, like we thought that we had our puzzle pieces all together on the table. Maybe they weren't all put together, but at least we thought that we we knew where we were at and which piece we were going to go after next, and, and that was all fine. And then like five or six weeks ago, they all flew up in the air. And I don't know about you, but when you're working on something really hard for a really long time and it just gets thrown up in the air, it's usually not the right time to start working on it again, right? You're just so frustrated and and shocked. You just got to walk away from the puzzle for a little while. But that was weeks ago. And I feel like today we're all just kind of now sitting in our living rooms and The puzzle pieces are all still around us, and and for some of us, all the pieces have been thrown off the table. Others of us, they've just moved around a little bit, but we're all still wondering some of the same questions, like how and when can we start to put them back together together? And just so you know, I don't know the answer to any of those questions. I don't have any of those answers in the midst of my message today. I'm just sitting in the middle of the living room, just like you are. But Paul, in our reading today, does have some insight into specifically how we're called to act in the midst of asking those questions both now and throughout however long until this pandemic is over now if you missed last week this is our second week in a new series we're calling upside down joy the beauty of being online is you can always go back and you can worship with us from last week or any of the weeks that you miss we also have a podcast that you can listen to and it's called upside down joy because the letter that we're reading from paul is known as paul's letter of joy but it's upside down because he writes it from being in prison. He's under opposition, and the people that he's writing to are also in the midst of that as well. And so the question is, how could you possibly find joy in the midst of what they're going through? And as I I said when I was praying before, what just kind of comes to mind is that there are some striking similarities between what we're reading about and what we're going through today, even if the circumstances are in other ways very, very different. So uh, for example, last week we covered that Paul begins his letter, he begins his letter as kind of a thank you to the church in Philippi because they sent one of their brothers to him. It would have been a really long journey, a couple of weeks to a couple of months on uh, to, to get there to where he was, which was most likely in Rome. And he actually almost died when he was bringing this this gift to Paul as a resource. And so Paul wanted to thank the church in Philippi for their support. He wanted to let them know how their brother was doing who had come to him. And he also wanted them to know what it was like for him to continue to hold on to the faith in the midst of the struggle. And that's why we're reading this this, uh, season because, because we need to sit at Paul's feet just like they did. We need to listen to his wisdom. We need to learn from him, for the situation that we're living in right now. and so so at the time Paul was writing, uh, Philippi was was an important Roman colony. there There were people that the people that lived there, they were Roman citizens, and a lot of them were were former Roman military people who had received free land from the empire so that they could build their homestead in exchange for their allegiance to Rome and if they would just continue to protect Philippi so that it wouldn't be taken over by anybody else. These guys, like if you think about it, they're kind of like patriots in the old wild west, right? Like sitting out on their homestead with a double barrel shotgun just protecting themselves and everything around them. These were passionate people. They had great pride in their home and in their family and in their country because they were military families. They literally had shed blood for those things and they were doing the same for the colony today. And so, you know, we can kind of relate to that as Americans. You think about our history, it's full of people that sacrificed so much, many lives, un- uncounted lives, just so many uh, that have been given so that that we can have the freedom that we experience today. And we remember that. We remember that on days like Memorial Day, but we especially remember that during times of pain, and sacrifice. When if you were alive at 9-11, right, you remember that. You remember the different wars that we go through. And and I kind of feel that way right now. <laughs> As I drive by hospitals and I see those signs that they're putting out front that say "heroes work here," it just kind of fills me with this this humble pride and gratitude for the people that are that are out there every single day and are giving themselves for our safety, sacrificing so much that we get to live in a country like that. But in the Roman world that Paul was writing to, there was there was also a dark side. Um, for example, they they called it. Pax Romana, and that that was Latin for Roman peace. And that sounds like a wonderful thing, right? Like, what's the dark side to that? Well, it came at a price. And the price was that Rome comes first always. It comes before everything, before religion, before family, before everything. And if you don't know what that looked like, just think back a couple of weeks ago in the story of Jesus on Holy Week, right? Don't know the story of Jesus? Uh, on, On Good Friday, he was killed on a cross. It was a Roman execution device. He was up on a hill, and there was a sign above Jesus' head that said, King of the Jews, Now why do you think they would execute someone who was called the king of the Jews on a hill for everybody to see? Because they wanted everybody to see that if you try to overthrow the government, if you try to become the king of anyone that Caesar is king of, you're going to be the next one up on that cross. Now, thankfully, we don't live in the Roman Empire today. This is the United States of America. We don't execute our criminals up on a tree on a hill for everybody to see. But see, the principle behind that, the sinful tendencies of humanity are actually still found in the world today, not just in our country, but all around the world. And because so many times it's more subtle than what we read about in the scriptures, it might even be more dangerous. For example... Uh, think about the messages that you get when, when things are being promoted to you, like marketing different things. Like, like, do you want peace? Then just buy this product, and then you'll have peace. Just go to this place. Uh, what is culture? Culture is neutral, but so many times there's, there's unhealthy messages that make promises that don't deliver. Like, if you want to belong, then you've got to come over to this side. That if you really want to experience community, you've got to go to this neighborhood. You've got to be a part of this political party. Do you want security? Well, you just need to get that job. You just need to have this much money. You just need to have this kind of safety net. See, in Rome, who Paul is talking to, he, these these people were under the assumption and the message that the Roman Empire held the keys to all of that that their security that their fulfillment that everything that they need is human beings their identity that would all come to them if they would just give total allegiance to the empire even though the Roman Empire didn't always deliver on those promises but see you know that because how many times have you ever heard that kind of a promise you bought something that didn't end up fulfilling you in the way that the advertisement said they would you chased after something that didn't ultimately meet the deeper need that it was supposed to meet right we we often get these promises brought to us that don't deliver and the problem for the church in philippi was that these people had just met jesus And they had just heard the gospel of Jesus that says that in Jesus, if you give him your allegiance, all of those questions are now fulfilled in him. You don't need to buy peace anymore because the prince of peace lives inside of you. You don't need to join a certain club or be a part of a certain socioeconomic status because in Jesus... You're now a son or daughter of the king of kings. And if you're part of his church, which was what was started in Philippi, then you're going to take care of each other's needs. You're going to find community in what Jesus calls his body, the body of Christ. It's what Paul says happens in Galatians chapter 4. This is a different letter that he wrote. He said, When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, oftentimes we read that and say, okay, well, what about the daughters? Well, Paul wasn't forgetting the daughters. What he's saying is that in Jesus, both the women and the men become sons. Well, why do they become sons? Well, because 2,000 years ago, in that culture, it was the sons that got the inheritance, It was the sons that took on the family name. And so Paul is saying in Jesus, the promise is no longer just for the sons, but everyone gets to be a son, the men and the women, the children, everybody who commits their life to following jesus and he says because you are his god sent the spirit of his son into our hearts the spirit who calls out daddy father so that you are no longer a slave but god's child and since you are his child god has made you also an heir now if that's true then caesar and rome become a lot less important when you become a christian don't they They become a lot less important and so does the car you drive. So does how much money you make. So does what neighborhood you live in. So do your different social affiliations because now you're a child of God first and foremost. And there's probably nothing controversial about what i just said right i mean you're in a church service there's nothing controversial about all of that and and i don't also want to suggest that just because that's the most important thing that all those other things don't matter on some level christians in in that moment and today still lived as productive members of their own society even jesus said that we're supposed to do that he was questioned in matthew 22 22 he, he was Questioned, should we pay taxes? Remember that? Some of you do. And he said, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But then after that, he said, Give to God what is God's. And Paul fleshes that out even further in another place he wrote to the Romans. In Romans 13, he said, This is also why you pay taxes, why Jesus said, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. And so give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now, I I don't imagine that we have much of an issue paying the tax part of that particular passage. I mean, I'm not saying anybody likes taxes, but we also don't like to be on Uncle Sam's bad side. So most of us probably pay our taxes, But I would say we definitely have a problem with the part of that passage that says that we are to respect and honor the people who are in authority above us. And I say that not to speak specifically to one political party or the other. I'm literally talking to all of us. When I think about where we're living right now, I think we've lost almost all semblance of respect and honor for those who are in authority in this country. And, and I don't even think I need to say this. I mean, just look at your Facebook feed. Just, just think about the conversations that happen around the dinner table with people that otherwise we deeply love. We can't stand people that don't agree with us. We can't stand people like that. And it's deteriorated in this country to the place that now there's, there's no respect and honor for anyone other than the people that are on our own side. The people that are in our own party. The people that are from our own tribe. Now now, hear me here. Hear me here before I lose you. Paul is not saying that we're not entitled to our own opinion. Paul's not saying that we shouldn't fiercely advocate for what we believe to be right and safe. There's nothing wrong with that. You should have a passionate opinion about the world in which you live, a political opinion. You can have a personal opinion, an informed opinion, an educated opinion, an emotional opinion. I have all of those, and sometimes these days I feel like they're changing like 10 times every single day. But what Paul is saying here is he's telling us how we're to Act in the midst of those opinions, in the midst of the circumstances that we're living in, and 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 all this relates to our reading today. Because if we go back to Philippians, remember he's talking to Romans who are living in a Roman colony where there's real tension between what Rome says and what Jesus says, and what you're calling to Rome and to others to fulfill in you, and what you're looking to Jesus for, and the. people following Jesus are the minority because they're putting their hope in him. And so Paul says this is how you should conduct yourselves in that environment. He says whatever happens, other translations say only conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, whichever way it goes, whether you agree or disagree, whatever Ever happens, only conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because then when I come to see you, or maybe I never get to come to see you. Remember, Paul doesn't know how this is going to end for him. But maybe I'll just hear about you in my absence. Either way, I'm going to know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Here's what this means. When people see your response to anything in life, when people see your response, when they follow your Facebook feed, when they talk to you on the phone, when they see the way that you're living your life, what do they see more of? Like, let this be just a little moral, mental kind of inventory. What do they see more of? Do they see more of your opinion or do they see more of Jesus? Do they see more of your opinion or do they see more of Jesus? If they don't see your opinion, what Paul is saying is, I'm sorry, if they don't see Jesus, what Paul is saying is that it doesn't matter what your opinion is. Even if your opinion's the right opinion, it doesn't matter because if you're a Christian, you're no longer defined by your opinion. You're no longer defined by what you think or where you live or how you vote. You are defined by whose you are. You're now God's. You're in God's hands, and he is your only hope because he's God. He's in charge of everything, and and he's the only hope for the people outside the four walls of the church that don't yet know him yet, from politicians to small business owners, from nurses to stay-at-home parents, from those in the unemployment line to those who have more resources than any of us would ever even have a concept of what to do with. Jesus is the great neutralizer because they all need him first. They all need him first. And again, just lest you don't catch this, it doesn't mean that we don't have an opinion. But friends, I'm speaking to the moment that we're living in right now. If we continue as followers of Christ to allow secondary things to define us, instead of allowing Jesus to draw us together as one, we're not going to be the community of God that we need one another to be. We're not going to be the community of God that we need one another to be. And, and maybe equally more important than that is we're not going to be the community of God that God is calling us to be in this moment in time. See, it's usually the secondary things that are less important that are the reason that we don't have unity, isn't it? And that's why Paul continues. He says, he says therefore, verse, verse 1 of chapter 2, if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any common sharing in the spirit, if you have any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now notice what Paul is doing here. He's actually lowering the standards for what it looks like to work together. He doesn't say if you have the same opinion about Rome as I do. That's not a requirement. He doesn't say that. He doesn't even say that we need to be on the totally same page about the secondary things that have to do with our faith. it's, it's why I love St. John's. Our church is amazing. And I, I mean, of course, I'm a little biased, but, but part of what I love about our church is we have so many people that are different. And have all sorts of different, different backgrounds and, and different views on lots of different things. That's okay. Paul says that's okay as long as Jesus comes first. Because we are a people of Jesus on a mission. We're people of Jesus on a mission. And that mission is to love God and love others in a way that brings hope to the world, makes disciples who make disciples. It is to embody that hope of Jesus. And the way Paul says we're going to do that is by living it out in the midst of the world. And so he says if you get any encouragement from being united in Christ, even if you come from wildly different backgrounds, then don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Friends, it's selfish ambition and vain conceit that allows those secondary things to define us. And when we allow those things to define us, it tears us apart. It's the same thing that's been tearing apart the church for 2,000 years. It was tearing apart the church in the days of Paul And right now in this country, it's tearing us apart. And sometimes, in biblical times and even today, it takes a disaster. It takes a disaster. It takes a mission for us to have to focus on and get out of in order to get us out of that division and bring us back together into the unity that God wanted us to have in the first place. See, before this crisis... It was way too easy for us to live for Jesus in church and then just to go home and, and, and not live it out for the rest of our lives. I mean, it was easy to do that even as a pastor, but now we can't even come to the church building. The only place we can live it out is in our homes. The only place we can live out our faith is in our neighborhoods and with our friends. On some level, that's the way God intended it to be all along. It reminds me of a a story I'll leave you with. It was one I shared 5 years ago when we we actually we preached through Philippians as an entire county. We had 18 churches of all different backgrounds who were who were preaching through the same material and and when I was preaching on this particular passage, I told the story of Apollo 11. Some of you remember July 20th, 1969, right? That was the day when the first human landing on the moon occurred. You had Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, both got the opportunity to be on the moon while millions of people watched on their televisions. And there was this children's book that I found when I was researching for that sermon on Amazon. And it was about Apollo 11, but it was was a different perspective. Here's the title. It was Team Moon how 400,000 people landed Apollo 11 on the moon. And here's what it was about. It was about that it took 400,000 people on a team in order to make that landing happen. See, one of the reviews said this, and I want to read it to you. It said, The author tells the story from the point of view not of the astronauts or of general observers, but from some of the 17,000 behind-the-scenes workers at the Kennedy Space Center, some of the 7,500 uh, Grumman employees who built the lunar module, the 500 designers and seamstresses who actually constructed the spacesuits, and other low-profile contributors who made the historic flight Possible. See, in context, Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong were just a very small part of a much bigger puzzle. It was a puzzle that consisted of thousands of people from all different walks of life with different talents, with different opinions, with different preferences, with different political leanings. I I even said at the time, I'll bet there were Packers and Bear fans on that team. There was that many people there had to be, right? What united them was not that they were the same in every way. It was the fact that they had a primary mission to be a part of, a common goal, and that was to get a man on the moon. Friends, isn't the common goal we have before us of infinitely greater importance than that? That we would get through this season that we're going through together? Friends, I tell you this every week, and I'll continue to tell you this because I believe it to be true. We are going to get through this. We're going to get through this, but the church is called to get through it differently. We're called by God to lead the way, to be the unifying body that makes the world one. And the only way to do that is for every action that we live to be one that is worthy of Christ and his gospel. So can we pray for that right now? Lord Jesus, I just... I just thank you for the encouragement and for the wisdom, even if it's sometimes difficult to hear from Paul, that in some ways our world is radically different, and in other ways there are so many similarities. The, The people of biblical times struggled in conflict with the same things we struggle with. They, too, went through plagues. They, too, went through the unknown of the future. And they, too, struggled to hold on to their faith in the midst of all of it. And that's why Paul was sent to give them encouragement. And it's why Paul is sent to give us encouragement. As he says to them, he says to us that that we're to live our lives as ones that are worthy of the gospel of Christ. And Jesus, you showed us what that looks like. The next verses, Paul fleshes out that what it meant was that you were not above us. You became one of us, humbled to become an infant that was born into this world, that lived and died and rose again for us, that you were the one that did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so, Lord Jesus, would you help us to live our lives in a similar way? God, would you help us to to be able to have the faith to know that you're going to take care of us. As as your word says, do not worry about tomorrow, for today has enough trouble of its own. You told us that, that if you clothe the ground with lilies on the fields, that we are so much more valuable than they to you, God. And so help us to find that comfort and truth and find that identity that we have as sons and daughters of the King, and may that permeate all of our needs and wants to such an extent that we don't need to grasp for that in any other place, and instead that we might be free to be part of the mission that you've called us on today, to be one people, one church that's looking out for one another and showing the world that there's hope for everyone, and it's found in you. Help us to turn to you. Help us to be able to to draw others to turn to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.